Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. You know, it's been said that the true test of a civilization is the way it treats its old people. The true test of a civilization is the way it treats its old people. In many countries around the world, old people are deeply respected and honored. In Japan, for example, there is an assumed reverence for the aged where families will care for their elders and and live with them and provide for them. In Mediterranean and Latin cultures, Right? We see a huge priority on the family. Right? In these contexts, it's normal for multi-generational families to live together under one roof. And then you have places like Korea, where not only do they respect the elderly, but they actually celebrate the elderly there. See, for many Koreans, the 60th and 70th birthdays are huge celebrations, usually accompanied by big parties and feasts. Now, on the one hand, you have cultures like that. Now, in contrast to cultures like this, you have places like the UK and the United States, where old people are seen as burdens, where aging is viewed as something to be avoided at all costs. According to the National Council on Aging, they say 5 million older Americans are abused every year. Five million Americans abused every year, whether it's physically, emotionally, financially, or otherwise. I was just reading a news article online uh, that came out of Florida. Of course, all the crazy news articles come out of Florida. And there were two workers uh, working at a nursing home down there, and they decided to, uh, one of them decided to go on Instagram Live uh, for all of her followers, and uh, they decided to live stream to their Instagram uh, the mistreating and mocking and abuse of one of their senior patients. And so now they're facing felony charges. See, if you think that's bad, what's really scary is the sad fact that out of all of the elderly abuse cases, 70% of them and 70% of them, the perpetrators are family members or spouses. Now, if it's true, then, that the test of a civilization is the way it treats its old people, I think it's safe to say that America is failing. America is failing. But what about the church? See, if we apply this test to the American church, how would we score? How does the church treat its old people? See, we might not be guilty of physical elder abuse or emotional elder abuse, but we may very well be guilty of another more subtle form 
of abuse, if you want to call it that. And that's apathy or indifference, even disrespect in some cases. So now why is our culture like this? Right? Think about our Western world. Right? Who are the ones who receive the most praise, the most adoration, the most success, the most attention, all of it? Right? Because in the U.S., the church has been so heavily influenced by um, that which, which culture values, and they have a disregard for anything that's old, and we've taken that mindset and carried it over into the church. Right? So, so the ones who receive the most praise are those people who are like those innovative entrepreneurs, always pushing the envelope, always starting something new. You have the youthful Instagram models or the beautiful YouTube sensations. You have the, the wrinkle-free, wrinkle-resistant celebrities. And then you have the fit athletes. See, these are all the people who receive the most praise in our circles. See, in our obsession with youthfulness, we've neglected the wisdom that comes with age. We conceal our age by spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on cosmetic surgeries and fillers. We avoid getting old because we fear. We, uh, we don't want to be seen as, as less productive in a society that values productivity. And we fear to lose independence. We fear to lose control, especially in a culture of individualism and self-determination. See, the message that comes to us day after day after day after day is this. Being old is to be avoided at all costs. If you could afford it, pay for it. Don't get old. Now it's against this youth uh, this background of, of uh, youth obsession that the church needs to stand in stark contrast. It needs to look very different from the world. See, since this church stands on scripture and not on culture, we need to take our cues from God. Though culture screams the message to us that being old is to be avoided, God tells us that getting old is to be celebrated, not avoided. So today, as we continue our study in 1 Timothy, we come to the first half of chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. In this passage, the Apostle Paul reminds his apprentice Timothy, and by us, and us by extension, to respect your elders. Respect your elders. That's the, that's the way you could summarize this, uh, these entire 16 verses. That one, those three words, respect your elders. See, this wasn't some new revolutionary message that Paul had for Timothy. All along, God had a high view of the elderly. Right? That's why you see from start to finish, Scripture upholds the honor of older generations as a core value. That's why God commanded the young people of Israel to stand up in honor in the presence of the elderly. That's why God commands and instructed children in the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. It's something the younger generations of our day seem to have forgotten. And likely, likely because it's something the older generations in our day failed to have taught. See, but that's why God tells us in Proverbs that gray hair is a crown of splendor. Right? Because far from something to hide in shame, right? those visible markers of aging, wrinkled skin, frail bodies, 
slow walk, gray hair, all of these visible markers of aging in scripture are framed as worthy of celebration. And that's why God reminds us in the Psalms that the elderly will still bear fruit in old age, right? So the elderly will still bear fruit in old age by pouring into younger guys like me, your wisdom of of decades of walking with the Lord, by telling your children, your grandchildren of the glories of Jesus. So the reminder for us this morning is to respect your elders. And 1 Timothy 5 verses 1 through 16 shows us three ways, three ways we can do this. The first way we can respect our elders is cherish them like family. Cherish them like family. Now remember, Paul had already referred to the church as the household of God, right? That was his uh, terminology that he used to describe the church as a family, right? At the end of chapter three, that's what we saw, that the household of God, that the family of God, he's calling everybody sisters and brothers, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, right? So here, what he's doing is he's reminding the younger pastor, Tim, uh, that in the course of doing ministry, he's going to be shepherding people, not only his own age, not only his own gender, but he's going to be shepherding people older than him and younger than him and different genders. And since they're brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in Christ, Timothy is to cherish his relationship with each one of them, especially the elderly. So verses one and two, this is how the passage starts. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. See, what Paul is telling Timothy here in a nutshell is, is, hey, Timothy, when it comes to the older men in the church, treat them with the honor and the gentleness that you would show your own father. And remember that grace goes with truth, that when you correct someone older than you, do it respectfully, do it graciously, and you're going to get much farther than you would if you tried being harsh or using merciless words. Timmy, go on and treat the younger men like little brothers. Teach them that their zeal and their strength needs to be tempered with the wisdom and patience that only a lifelong saint can impart. And then offer older women empathy and care like you would offer to your own mom. Then look after the younger ladies in your midst with decency and purity, caring for them and protecting them as any good older brother would his little sister. In a nutshell, Timothy, cherish the saints as family, especially the older saints. See, the application of this verse goes way beyond the scope of um, treating elders respectfully. And really, it's applicable to us treating everybody respectfully. In the household of God, all throughout the church, there's to be mutual encouragement flowing every which direction between each and every one of us. So let's be committed to be reflecting to one another the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness of Jesus as the Spirit demonstrates and exercises that fruit through us. And just as Timothy isn't to use harsh words, cutting words, with the older men, such wisdom would make good practice for all of us in all of our conversations. See, there's definitely something we can learn here. For one, and the reason that this, uh, I think, is written to 
those who are younger and not to the older men, not to the older men to act a certain way toward the younger men or the older women to speak a certain way toward the younger women. Is because I think as you get, as you get older, it just, you seem to get it. Um, and here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> Ever since, let's see, I'm finishing my 10th year here at Bayside. Got hired January 1st, 2014. So ever since then, I've kept a little folder in my office in one of my filing cabinets, and I, I just call it the love file. Uh, so anytime I get an encouraging email or, uh, or note or card, um, you know, something encouraging, something about how uh, God is working in your life, um, how God used me without me even knowing it, all those kinds of things, I save them in that, in that little file. And trust me, there are really depressing, frustrating days where you kind of got to go back and, and pull those out. Um, so it's something, so, so, so here's what I noticed is that 95% of everything that's in that file uh, comes from those who were probably over 60 years old. Um, so it's definitely um, one-sided. And I think that's why the impetus is on the younger generation here to do these kinds of things with the older generation. And in our communication with the older generation and with each other, we really have to use our words wisely. So our girls, Olivia and Elizabeth, slept over their friend's house last night um, and sitting in the family room with them at their friend's house and going through the rules, you know, because I, I, this is the first time that they're together sleeping over someone else's house. It's not family, so I'm just kind of going over the rules. And I know Livy could get in trouble, man, because she's got a mouth. This extroverted Sicilian, man. Pray for her future husband. Um, so I sat with them, and I said, all right, the one thing I want you guys to practice while you're here um, tonight and to tomorrow is you're not going to say anything to each other to, um, or to uh, Mr. Bill and Ms. Michelle. You're not going to say anything to them unless you've first filtered it through the think test. Um, so here's the way the think test, and I've shared this in the past, uh, but here's the way the think test goes. So before you say anything, you're going to think it through. You're going to ask, is it true? T for think. Is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Is it true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind? See, if what you're going to say doesn't pass those tests, then chances are you probably should not say what you're going to say. But that little simple test would make a world of difference in the way we relate to each other and the way we communicate with each other. So let's cherish one another as we would cherish our own family. And when it comes to the way that we view those who are older than us, we can't get sucked into that cultural worldview that discredits and disregards the older saints. And let's not ever, ever let the church, let Bayside Chapel cater to anything trendy if that's going to come at the expense of marginalizing the giants of the faith in our midst. See, this, the, the fact of there being so many seasoned saints at Bayside is one of the things that attracted me to the church originally. 
And so a little bit of context, back in uh, 2011, I was working on my undergrad through Liberty University Online, uh, getting ready to wrap up my bachelor's degree in biblical studies. Uh, so that was 2011. I was working part-time at a church in Brick, a little portable church uh, at Vest Memorial Elementary School in Brick. And then as I was starting to look at seminaries, because I knew I'll be finishing my bachelor's, so I wanted to go for my master's next. So I started to look at seminaries. Um, and the one I chose was Capital Seminary in grad school there out in uh, Lancaster. And I went out there for a little bit of an interview and everything. I was talking to um, the program advisor, and we were chit-chatting, and he said, hey, listen, a big part of this program is that you're going to have to have um, you know, a formal um, arrangement with uh, a mentor at your church. And the church should be a healthy, growing church, um, with expanding ministry opportunities. Um, and that wasn't the place where, where I was serving at the time. Um, so I had you know, prayed about it. Lauren, I prayed about it. I was married for a year at that time, and we, um, we left there. First church we went to, because now I'm keeping, now that I'm thinking, keeping everything in mind, uh, that, all right, I got to get mentored. I got to get mentored. I got to get mentored. Obviously, I'm going to get mentored by someone who's not my own age, but someone who's older than me. So first church, we're, we're living in Jackson at the time. We visited um, one of the, a big church in Jersey, have campuses everywhere. We went to one of the campuses, and it was amazing, amazing uh, experience, great church. But I remember looking around the room, and there was a problem. The problem was that it was a great experience, but there were no gray heads. Everybody was my age. See, and if there's no gray heads, that means there's probably not great mentoring. So then the next week, we're like, all right, let's try a different church. I was like, well, I was at this church down in Barnegat once for a concert some years ago, and I heard they just hired a new pastor, so this is now fall 2011. Um, Let's just check it out. Uh, so I went online, and I saw they had just hired Dr. Dave Ritter. I'm getting ready to start seminary. I'm reading his bio. He's like, oh, former dean of Bethel Seminary. He taught preaching and leadership, two things that I really wanted to learn a lot more about. Sent Dave an email and, and said, hey, um, this is my situation. would love to connect. And he said, come visit or come say hi if you visit. And that was fall of 2011, and now here we are, 2023. I haven't gone anywhere. Um, but I say all of that to make the point that one of the things that drew me, and at the time, uh, let's see, I would have been under 25, so one of the things that drew me to Bayside was the fact that for the most part, what I saw at Bayside was an inclusive church family where young and old were worshiping together and investing in each other. So may God will it that this is something that can always be said of Bayside. May we always be a church where gray heads and youth alike are embracing their irreplaceable value in God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. The respect... Respect your elders, Paul tells us. Cherish them like family. And then the second way to show them respect is to care for them generously. To care for them generously. Now in verse 3, the the focus shifts to a specific class of the elderly. It's a class whom God has long fought for, and they're very dear to him. It's the class of widows. 
These are honest-to-goodness widows who are a priority to God, have always been, so they should be a priority to the church. And one way that we prioritize them is by caring for them generously. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So the church is called to honor, to to care for, to support, oftentimes financially, those who are truly widows. Now, true widows here are women who have no family at all to care for them. No one, no husband, no children, no family. In ancient societies, unmarried women were the most vulnerable women. They relied on family for provision and, and protection and for a place to live. But there was no such thing as social security or life insurance or Medicare. See, imagine then in that setting, being all alone. In that world, no husband, no children, no opportunities to work, no safety net beyond begging in the street. See, this is especially why Paul's writing here and saying that a lot of the responsibility um, for widows rides on whatever family is still living. Because widows who have children or grandchildren should look first for their own families to help them. Right? So in God's economy, the first responsibility for caring for the widow, for caring for the elderly, falls on the family. Then the church has opportunity to step up and step in when families are either unwilling to help or unable to help. And then Paul gives further description of who these true widows are, verses 5 and 6. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope set on God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So we see here then that a true widow is one who is characterized by her hope in God. She's a praying woman who's learned by trial that her true contentment is found in Christ alone. And she's a godly woman who has learned that God can be trusted to be the all-sufficient one to meet every single one of her needs. This is the kind of widow that Paul tells the church to generously care for. I love the story I heard about there once being a very old widow who lived on a dirt floor shack. She worked hard for every bite of food that she ate. And after one particularly long, hard day, she sat down and looked at the dinner before her. She had a glass of water and a broken cup, a dry crust of bread, and a handful of beans. A smile broke across her haggard face as she wondered, All this and Jesus too? See, when you know joy like that old woman, you'll stop yearning for whatever the next thing is. You can rest knowing that you have all this and Jesus too. And oftentimes it's the widows, it's the elderly, it's those who have experienced tremendous loss that can sing that chorus with a smile. All this in Jesus too. See, now this is in opposition 
to the self-indulgent one that Paul drew a comparison with. See, this is not like the self-indulgent one because the self-indulgent one lives for pleasure and personal gain. See, when uh, the early church, the, the first century church, when they pooled their limited resources to help these widows, they had to steward the resources widely. They couldn't, couldn't just be giving it to everyone for, for every need. Right? So they put some safety nets in place in order to receive financial assistance from the church. The widow had to uh, qualify two ways. She had to qualify financially through her destitution, but then she also had to qualify spiritually through her godliness. So you see two of those requirements there. And then it goes on in seven and eight. It says, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See, knowing that this letter was going to be read by Christian sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, Paul reminds all of us that meeting the needs of those in our families, especially our widowed mothers and our widowed grandmothers, it's a God-honoring demonstration of our faith. It's a very tangible expression of being the hands and feet of Christ in respecting our elders. But if we neglect this, Paul says it's a denial of the faith. See, understand that almost all the pagans in the first century, they did take care of their families. They had a high view of the family, especially in the Roman world. So in Paul's mind, if there's a believer who's doing even less than what an unbeliever does, that believer is acting worse and is better, is worse off than that unbeliever ever is. And the point being here that God calls the church to respect its elders. We're to care generously for the godly, aged saints in our midst who need support. It's something that's close to the Lord's heart, so it needs to be close to our heart. It needs to be close to our heart individually as sons and daughters, grand, uh, grandsons, granddaughters, but it also needs to be close to our heart corporately as a church. That brings joy to me, to the elders, to the rest of the staff, to know that as a church, we are able to help many of our own families in need, whether it's meeting some physical needs of the widows or some financial needs of theirs, whether it's um, helping others in the congregation going through uh, a really difficult time through our benevolence fund or through uh, other means. Maybe it's assisting with paying bills or helping um, an elderly couple in an emergency situation or providing care packages or, or coming alongside them and helping with home repairs and maintenance or helping with meals and transportation and home visits. See, there are so many ways that as a church body, uh, we are constantly serving this worthy demographic in our congregation. And by honoring widows, we honor God. So may it be a priority in our lives. May it be a priority in Bayside always to seek out widows, to understand their needs and to help provide for them generously and cheerfully. So we're to respect our elders. We cherish them like family. We care for them generously. And the third way we respect our elders is to celebrate their legacy. 
we celebrate their legacy. See, though God desires that we're generous in caring for widows and other elderly people in need, he still calls us to exercise good stewardship, right? So our physical resources aren't unlimited. The uh, financial resources of the church aren't infinite, right? So we need to exercise good stewardship and distributing aid, or or to say it another way, we need uh, to care wisely so that we can continue to care widely. We need to care wisely so we could continue to care widely, which is why, starting in verse 9, Paul calls attention to a special order of widows whom the church enlisted for ministry, a, a different group of widows, kind of like an, an elite group of widows. They're like the SWAT team of widows. There's a group of widows whose lives could teach volumes about the faithfulness of God. See, it's believed that in this church in Ephesus that there was a specific list of widows, these super widows, uh, who had taken a pledge committing themselves to work for the church, right, in exchange for whatever support that they received from the church. And the only people who were able to get on this list were people with a godly legacy worth celebrating. So the idea starts to get picked up in verse 9. He says, let a widow be enrolled, enrolled into this um, super widow list, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Now in these verses, Paul is calling older women to service in the church, right? Just as he put qualifications on elders and deacons in chapter three, here he's putting qualifications on this order of widows who's to serve in this kind of official capacity in the church. The first qualification for these women was uh, that there had to be mature women, age-wise. They had to be at least 60 years old. These were women who were less likely to remarry and Um, women who are beyond the ability of finding any kind of meaningful employment. Then there was a second qualification, and that's not only that they're mature women, but they they were faithful wives, right? Literally a one-man woman, a one-man woman who demonstrated Christ-likeness and loving her husband well and serving the family faithfully. And then the third qualification is that she's a woman of a good reputation, right? A good reputation for her hospitality in the home, right? If she has children, she's reared them well and raised them in the way of the Lord. And she also has a good reputation in the community. She opens her home to others, demonstrating hospitality. And then she's got a good reputation with people in the church. She's got a track record of serving faithfully the saints and caring for the needy in her midst, So in comparison to these worthy widows of ministry that we see here, Paul reminds Timothy that this more formal ministry opportunity is one that not all widows could apply for. One that they all can't commit to, especially if they're young. And especially if they have the desire and ability to raise a family. Which is why Paul says what he does in verses 11 and 12. He says, But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. 
See, one of the stereotypes that was going on in Ephesus during the first century during this time was uh, the, the loose living of these younger widows. Remember that there were some false teachers. We saw that a couple weeks ago. There were some false teachers in Ephesus that were spreading about false teaching. And one of the things they were uh, spreading was that it's not good to get married, that the church needs to avoid marriage. So when the younger widows listened to these false teachers, they were slowly sucked into the vortex of getting their own needs met apart from Christ. And not to mention that the special order of widows demanded that it was mature, spiritual, older women, not something for younger widows, where there's too much of an opportunity to get remarried, to get supported, to uh, get provided for. And then Paul goes on uh, describing uh, some of these young widows, some of the ones who would cause problems. He says in verses 13, 14, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. See, some of these younger widows were causing some problems in the church. And one reason for the problems is uh, that these young women failed to avoid laziness. They just, they got lazy. They became idlers, is the word Paul uses, right? Without any opportunities to work, and now having someone else meet their needs, there was a great temptation on these widows for idleness, for Uh, laziness. It was an occasion of sin for them. And then they also caused problems by failing to abhor gossip. By failing to abhor gossip, right? So they failed to avoid laziness and then they failed to abhor gossip. Maybe some of the young widows with their financial burdens lifted lacked the spiritual maturity to apply themselves to prayer and to the work of the ministry. But whatever the case was, whatever it may have been, whatever the factors or factor was, these women caused problems by failing to avoid laziness and by using their time for frivolous, meaningless, divisive gossip. Verses 15 and 16. Paul says, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So Paul closes up this section by reminding the church that some of these widows have been pursuing a sensual and and self-reliant lifestyle. But for any of us who have widows in our circles, let's care for them. Let's unburden the church so it can focus her resources on those who are uh, truly needy. So there there you have it, the first half of chapter 5. See the big overarching message of the passage. The command that flows from this passage is simply to respect your elders. Respect your elders. Show them respect by cherishing them like family. Show them respect by caring for them generously. Show them respect by celebrating their legacy. Now I just want to close simply with a word to the older saints in our midst. Older saints, take heart. 
knowing that as you get older, you're not winding down in service to God. You're winding up in service to him. God has great purposes for you mature saints who can testify to decades or to a lifetime of experiencing firsthand God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Your experiences in life, your experiences in relationships, in the church, in service to God, all of these experiences make you a a spiritual sage, if you would. And you have wisdom that needs to be passed on to the younger generations. See, the world is going to tell you that aging is your enemy and that you should fight it. But what the Bible says is that aging is your friend. As it says in Job, wisdom is with the aged and understanding is length of days. So even though society will shout that getting old is a disease, scripture proclaims that getting old is an opportunity to grow in wisdom and grace. Nowhere in God's word, older saints, listen to this, nowhere in God's word are you pitied or are you patronized for your age. Nowhere in his word are you considered behind the curve and irrelevant or useless and inactive. Nowhere in the Bible does God diminish your value. You are needed and you are wanted and you are loved. See, God desires to showcase himself through the beauty of his aging saints. He desires to teach guys like me through your legacy that our identity in Christ and our purpose in the gospel transcends all other identities and purposes. He desires that you would pass along to others the truth that the gospel is big enough, that the gospel is good enough, that the gospel is powerful enough to make every moment of every season significant and glorious. And the God who created you promises that you can flourish and bear fruit, that you can be full of sap and green, even in old age, as the psalmist says. As an older saint, you're indispensable stewards of the gospel, and you're irreplaceable mentors to the younger men and women around you. Though the world may ignore you, the church is called to cherish you as forever family. So thank you. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, thankful that um, we love because you first loved us, Lord, and that because of who you are, we're able to understand how we can love others. Lord, thank you for building and forming Bayside to the place where it is now, where it's an intergenerational church, ministry happening across the board, all ages, serving and investing in one another and pointing people to the gospel. Lord, I thank you for the spiritual giants in our midst. Lord, I pray for any young men or women that are just in desperate need of discipleship or mentoring. 
Lord, that they would seek out one of the godly saints. Lord, and that conversely, some of the godly saints, that you'd put it on their hearts to uh, seek out and begin a relationship with some of the younger saints. God, thank you that um, you've empowered us for everything we need to respect our elders, Lord, and thank you for your uh, grace and forgiveness in forgiving us and cleansing us all those times, uh, our attitude, our demeanor, our conduct, our speech was anything but uh, respectful toward um, those who are older than us, family or otherwise. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, enable us to respect our elders well and to learn from them as they tell us of the glories of your faithfulness. All God's children said these things in Jesus' name. Amen.